you're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 009. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Touch of Flavor. Today we're doing another Q&A episode where we answer the questions that you wonderful people have sent in. Today's topics include supporting your child who has just come out to you about being gay and kinky, advice for a couple who's having trouble finding a unicorn, some tips on dating and keeping it kinky with a toddler in the house, and more. Let's get started. Please leave your message after the tone. Do you think it's strange having the fantasy of a mother and daughter sucking and fucking that's what I'd like for them to do to me. I'm 42 in Oklahoma. And I'm horny as shit. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, I, we managed not to laugh through that entire call, even though we knew what was coming on that one. I'm very proud of us. Well. That was interesting, right? That was left on our voicemail line. I'm going to take it in the vein of being a serious question, although I don't know if it was intended to be or not. I really can't tell. I think it might have been, but the end, like, I'm horny as fuck. Like, that, that is, um, that's probably why your fantasies are not being fulfilled, is that. <laughs> like, that's probably what's messing you up right there. Um, but if we're taking it as a legitimate question, which we're going to try as much as we're giggling, um... First of all, I think fantasy versus reality is something that is, you know, separated, first of all. So I think a lot of us have fantasies about things and they might be what others might not think of as like... Taboo. Yeah. Might be taboo. Might be taboo. Might be a little out there. Um, So first of all, having those kind of fantasies, no matter what they are, typically is okay. Like is, is not, there isn't a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have a lot of a lot of people, um, you know, especially in the BDSM community, have fantasies that may be considered taboo outside of it. Rape fantasies are a great one. I mean, you have a lot of people, although I think well, that's a whole other discussion about whether or not more people have rape fantasies than they let on. But um, I think a lot of people have rape fantasies. And, you know, sometimes in the, the scene, they'll even act that out with like a consensual non-consent scene. So fantasies... Uh, no matter what they are, as long as they're confined to the realm of fantasy, are typically all hunky dory. Yeah, what you what you use as your masturbation fodder in your brain is perfectly fine. Um, so, with that uh, desiring of acting out that fantasy, I would say the best way of doing that is by role play. Like, well, so let let me let me say something. Let me say something about this. I guess is there anything inherently wrong? Theoretically, if you could find people to participate in the scene, is there anything theoretically wrong with having a scene with a mother and daughter at the same time? As long as, as they long, are, as, as, as the, if, if the younger party is of age. Yeah, as long as it's consenting. consensual and, and both parties are over the age of 18, no. And I wouldn't even say that's necessarily impossible. I mean, I actually know some mother-daughter groups. Groups is maybe the wrong word, but I know some people in the scene where there's both mothers and daughters. In the scene. So would there anything, would there be anything wrong with that if you could theoretically find somebody, people who were both consenting and both over the age? No. Is it at all likely that you will ever actually find people who are willing to do that? No. Maybe not. No. Most likely not. Most likely not. That's probably not something you're going to find. So one way to sort of feed that fetish, just like a, you know, consensual non-consent scene where, you know, you want to be raped, but not really raped, you want it to be a consensual rape, is kind of setting something up. So maybe having two play partners, someone who is a little older, someone a little younger, 
and maybe look similar or dress similar, and you can act out that fantasy in a way with people who might not actually be mother-daughter, but, you know, hey, one can call each other mommy, the other could call each other their daughter, um, and you could still get that sort of action on that. Um, but as far as actually desiring a incestual scene, as long as two people are consensual, both are adults, uh, you know, is it or is it something that you could do and would be reasonable? Absolutely. I mean, on my part, I'll be honest, it's sort of, we talk in the kink community about your kink is not my kink, but your kink is okay. In this kind of sense, for me, this is a, your kink is okay-ish-nish, maybe. I'm not so sure how I feel about it. But, um, you know, you obviously can probably find somebody who you can do that with. It wouldn't be something I would do. No, would you can't. You probably can't find anybody yeah. to do that with. Um, I would say, could you, if you really searched long and hard, you probably could find somebody. Is it possible? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is it probable? No. That's a good way of putting it. So if that was a serious call, hopefully it just helped you out. If it was not a serious call, fuck you. We just made that shit educational. <laughs> and remember, if you want to leave a voicemail of your own, uh, you can call it in at 833-ASK-TOF1. That's 833-ASK-TOF1. And we will, if we select your question, play it on the air and answer it on air. So our next question is from uh, Carol. Carol is 51 years old and she's from Florida. Uh, and this was... This is kind of long, but I, I think it's important. I'm actually going to read it. I'm not LGBT poly or into BDSM. I found your website by putting kinky dating into Google. Two weeks ago, my youngest son, who is 19, told me that he is gay and submissive. Uh, it came up because he came home from a friend's house with black and blue marks on his back and arm, and I asked him what was going on. When he told me, I was shocked, but not mad or upset. Uh, he said that both him and his master are new to this. Uh, I want to show support to my son, but I have my concerns. I want to know that he's safe, both when it comes to sex and BDSM. I had the birds and bees conversation with him when he was younger, but that didn't cover any of this. <laughs> I know he's happy, and I want him to know I accept him as he is. I just want him to go about things in a safe way. How do I voice my concerns, offer places to go for education without seeming like I'm judging him or his boyfriend? Well, first I want to say, like, what you're doing is great. You're reaching out, you're trying to educate yourself, you're trying to be more educated about a subject that you obviously haven't really had a lot of experience with. And I think that's the first step. And also realizing that this is something that might be okay for your your son, might be good for your son, but that you are concerned and voicing it like that, I think is probably the first step saying, I care. I don't want to judge you. Um, I want to be supportive of you, but I also have these concerns and explain them like that. Yeah. And I mean, I think that I don't think it's unreasonable to have concerns, you know, especially as young as he is, especially when you're talking about a partner that is, it sounds like the partner and him both are very new into BDSM. Um, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to have those concerns. I think it's great that she's she's approaching it from a standpoint, you're approaching it from a standpoint of, of trying to make sure that he's safe and he's educated uh, instead of just automatically jumping towards condemning him, and which I think is what most people would do. And I, I think that's also something that a lot of children, no matter how old they are, especially ones that are in their early adulthood, fear is their parents rejecting them for being different. Um, and that might be a lot that's kind of on your, on, on your plate right now, like finding out that your son's gay and finding out that he is, um, exploring kink. That can be a lot. Um, but also know that he's probably most scared of rejection from you. Yeah. So I think there's, uh, I think there's probably, um, I mean, there, there's two main things here, which is first talking about the sex, I guess, and then talking about the BDSM, um, she does, and I don't know if I skipped the line, but she does specifically um, ask about uh, safe sex stuff. So I, I think as far as that, you know, the best thing you can do is just to have a conversation with him or put him in the right direction to make sure that he's educated. Um, you know, the thing is, there isn't anything necessarily about activities that you can do being a gay male that are inherently uh, less safe. Um, you know, I mean, anal sex between two, two uh 
two gay males isn't really an inherently less safe than having anal sex, you know, with a, a straight couple. Um, but I will say that because, you know, of the activities that tend to take place, obviously, with anal sex tending to be higher on the list, you know, statistically, there are maybe more safety concerns um, when you're talking about that. So I think making sure that he's, you know, he's very educated as far as the different activities are available and the risk levels surrounding those different activities and that, you know, he can then make educated decisions on what risk levels he's willing to take with different partners would be very important. And especially with anal sex, there is, um, it's actually not an added risk factor. It becomes an added risk factor because people don't worry about pregnancy. So sometimes people don't necessarily use protection as much as they would otherwise. And statistically, it's actually more important to use protection with anal sex. Yeah. And that's what I was getting to. So just kind of, you know, that information would be important. But aside for that, it would be any kind of um, education that you would have around sex to begin with, whether it was oral sex or, or anything else. Yeah. But, you know, the basics as far as making sure he's using protection with people, um, understanding what risks are actually associated with which sexual acts, you know, uh, so that he has the availability either through your insurance and, and your doctor or through whatever clinics operate out of your local area that he has the ability to go get himself tested and maybe even go with his partners and have his partner get tested if that's something that they're interested in doing, making sure he has access to all those resources. Um, I ran into a little while ago, actually, a really good spreadsheet that kind of details uh, the different uh, sexual types of sexual activities that can take place and the different uh, diseases that you're at risk for with different activities and what the levels of those risks are for those different activities. It's actually a fantastic resource for anybody. Um, but I will, uh, I will share that uh, in the show notes here. So you can go to a touch of flavor.com forward slash zero zero nine, and I'll have those available there and you can download them, maybe share those with him. Um, what are some resources just as far as before we move on to the BDS end of this, what are some resources just as far as the sex uh, end of things that you think that he should be pointed to, to learn more about that kind of stuff? Um, he's, you know, an early adult. So I still think that Scarlet teen would still be very applicable um, at that, at that age range um, has very real sex facts and uh, they do go into a lot of detail as far as um gay sex, lesbian sex, those kind of things. So for people who are looking for that kind of advice, uh, it's spelled out very clearly as well. Yeah. Um, and like I said, also, I think getting him in touch either with where he has access to a doctor um, and doctors sometimes aren't the best when it comes to uh, uh, STIs and risks and things like that. Um, but making sure he has access to one, because a lot of times that's a more effective way to get tested as long as he's got the insurance to cover and things like that. But also, you know, pretty much any, um, you say you're from Florida, I don't know specifically what county, but most counties, most places will have some kind of health clinic that he can go to. And those people there are probably going to be more familiar with the, you know, the, the risks and things around STIs with different acts and those kinds of things are probably more educated than your primary care doctor might be. And I'll add in uh, a, uh, to the show notes, there's actually a place that you can go and put in your city and look up free STI clinics. So that And while we're talking about primary doctors and things like that, it also would probably be helpful to get him hooked up with a doctor who is uh, kink friendly. Um, on those lines. So another resource we will add to the show notes is uh, the NCSF, which is a National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, has a resource on their website called a Kink Aware Professionals List. Uh, and you can put your location in and find doctors and psychiatrists and other professionals in your area who are familiar with kink. Uh, and, you know, won't... Uh, well, you, you want your, your son want, needs to be able to open up to the doctor about things that are going on without fear the doctor is going to cause issues or try and file unfounded reports or anything along those lines. Because the more honest a dialogue he can have with his doctor, uh, you know, the, the safer he's going to be. As far as the BDSM end of things, I do think that there is a certain level of risk when you have two uneducated people doing things with no outside educational support. Yeah. Um, and I mean that, you know, I mean, now we all were there at one point, so I'm not, I'm not saying that to frighten you. I mean, at one point, you know, Cassie and I were doing stuff at home with no educational support and that's, that's where most people start. Um, so there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but at the same time, um, I do think it's important for people to get a certain level of education where these things go, both, 
Um, from a, a physical safety end, you know, as far as specific activities they may be doing, like impact play or, or bondage or things along those lines, you know, different kinds of play all have their own risks and, and things you need to learn. But also, given that he's saying his master, it seems like there's a uh, power exchange aspect of some kind of this relationship. And, you know, there's also certain kinds of psychological safety and, and emotional well-being safety that goes along with that, with having other people you can talk to to make sure that a relationship uh, is healthy and doesn't become veer into the realm either either wittingly or unwittingly, you know, into abusive or unhealthy with a power exchange standpoint. And I think part of sort of getting that education is possibly finding your community, uh, a BDSM community that's local to you. I know Florida does have a BDSM community, um, but getting out and going to classes, meeting other people, that way they're learning from others who have experience and who have been doing things longer. So that way they're not making common mistakes that could, could easily be avoided if they were going to classes and, and being surrounded by people who have more experience. Yeah. So I think that's the best way. I mean, you can definitely, you know, especially in this day and age, get a huge amount of education online, but sometimes it's kind of hard to sort, especially if you're inexperienced to sort the, the good stuff from the shaft, so to speak. Um, and the other benefit to getting out in a community is that, uh, you know, when you're making friends with other people in the community, people who are more experienced, you know, especially from a power exchange end and a play end also. But, you know, a lot of times if a relationship is veering in a direction from a power exchange end that's becoming unhealthy, you have people around who are experienced who can recognize that and, you know, bring it to light uh, and give advice, you know, while it's still early on enough to correct that issue. So the best way to do that, I think, to find your local community. Uh, is I think, you know, getting a FetLife account. As mom, I would not hop on your FetLife. Uh, if your kid gets a FetLife, you probably will have things on there that you don't want to see. Um, but him getting a, a FetLife and using that as a tool to find events and classes and things like that in his local area, uh, simply by going in and putting in where he's located at and he'll be able to find things that are nearby. I was going to say, do you want to give your, actually you use it a lot more than I do at this point. Do you want to give like a two minute spiel on how he could find stuff in his area if he gets a FetLife account? So first off, if you're unfamiliar, FetLife is kind of like a kinky Facebook. It's not a dating site. It's more of a, a, a social networking site. It's not not as good as Facebook, but it does it does definitely serve a niche community, which is the BDSM community, and it, it's great for that. Yeah, and once you have an account set up, you can go and write directly from the profile. There'll be a thing next to your name. You've selected your you know state and city, and you can click on the state or the city and open it up, and it'll say like events near me, and you'll be able to open it up and see what events are close by. Um, you can also search by going through the certain cities and things like that and actually look for specific events that might apply more to him. Uh, things such as like a gay um, leather group might be something that might apply more to him if that's something that he's looking for. Yeah, I don't know in Florida, but if they're really serious about the power exchange, MAST, uh, Master and Slaves Together, MAST is a great resource and it has very strong ties to uh, the gay community as well. Um, the other thing too, uh, is, you know, even if your son isn't necessarily looking to go out to play parties and those kinds of things, you can find just, you know, munches where people meet out at bars and have conversations or uh, just educational groups, you know, which is just like people get together and, and have classes and stuff or meetings around specific topics, maybe like power exchange around impact play. Um, and he can do that. He doesn't have to necessarily, you know, be interested in going out, you know, to, to a public play space and doing things there. Um, but overall, you're incredible. Yeah. I, I, when I read this, I was just like, oh, moms, you're awesome. Uh, you know, you're, you're taking the right steps as far as being open and trying to be understanding and accepting him for who he is. And you're a mom. You're going to have concerns. Like, that's just what us moms do. We always are concerned about everything new that our, our children do. And this is no different. So, I think just expressing it like that is probably, you know, the best step and you're doing the right thing. Um, and, and the second part of this question actually came down to what resources do you think are best for a new person doing BDSM that I can offer them that are good for gay men? But I feel like we kind of answered that already. Like on, you know, it, it, uh, first off, a lot of this stuff will apply to him regardless, but if he's looking for people who are more more his kind, um, you know, he can definitely 
on FetLife look for groups that more cater towards gay males. There are a lot of those because a lot of a lot of the BDSM stuff sprang out of the gay leather community. So there are a lot of groups around that are centered towards that uh, demographic. Yeah. All right. So the next question is from Rich. Uh, help, we can't find a unicorn anywhere. It's not a lot of detail, first of all. Yeah. But so we're going to answer this in the vein of which we most normally see this question. First off, do you want to explain the whole unicorn thing? So a unicorn, by definition, not necessarily something I I recommend calling anybody, but what people use it for is the single bisexual female who is willing to date a couple. That is usually what unicorn is referred to. And also going a little more in detail into that, it usually in the typical definition of the word unicorn wants to date a couple wants an equal relationship with both members of the couple and doesn't want to date or have, won't date or have sex with anybody else. I think those are typically kind of the, the unicorn tenants and it's called unicorn because they are supposedly mythical creatures that don't exist in real life. (laughs) So a few things, um, do the quote unquote unicorns exist? Yes. Um, there are women out there who like to date couples are Girlfriend uh, is a kind of like a self-identified unicorn. They do exist. uh, But the bigger issue usually falls not in the fact that there isn't women out there willing to date a couple, but the the couples. (laughs) (laughs) It's usually the couple. We actually have a whole class we teach on this called Chasing Unicorns, the Myths Behind the Myth. And that's going to play a lot into our answer, (laughs) our answer to this question. Okay, so... Part of the reason why you might be having a hard time finding a unicorn is most likely your expectations of a person is not realistic. A lot of times couples are looking for someone to fit into a box, and usually that box is a very unfair box, uh, such as the couples have a lot more say in relationships, have a, get a lot more, uh, get to have sex with each other. And then this unicorn, well, they're not allowed to have sex with you. They're not allowed to se- have sex with other people. They don't. They they have a lot of things that are unequal. And relationships are never going to be fully equal, but it tends to be the relationships tend to be very unhealthy and unequal in that aspect. And that's why people can't find a unicorn is because people don't want to be part of an unhealthy relationship. And also, when you're trying to fit somebody into a box it doesn't work out. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple, a couple main issues here. Um, and we'll try and I'll try and address them. I guess not in a specific order, but there's a couple main issues with this. Um, first off, I will tell you people who are specifically you looking for unicorns who are known kind of in the more in the poly community as unicorn hunters kind of have generally a very bad rep. Um, and, and the reason they have this bad rep is, uh, the same reasons that you are probably having trouble finding people. Um, so the first reason that people who are looking to date unicorns tend to have a bad rep is they tend to be very inexperienced with poly in general. Um, you know, a, a couple opening up a relationship and looking to date one person and, and you know, all those kind of unicorn criteria that we just said, it's a very comfortable step for people first opening up a relationship, like an established couple who's opening up a relationship, it seems safe. And so this is usually a lot of times the first step that people will take when they decide to open their relationships. And because of that, they're usually very inexperienced. And it usually leads to very unhealthy relationships, uh, particularly for the unicorn uh, who's involved. So that's A. Um, People tend to be very inexperienced and uh, make a lot of mistakes that are very damaging. Um, But the second... The second, and I think the biggest part of this, uh, kind of which you had started in on, and there's a third part, which is where you're looking, but I think we need to spend some time on the second part of this, because this is where most people who are looking for unicorns have problems, is figuring out what you're offering and if anybody would be interested in that dynamic. So I will tell you, Cassie and I um, tend to date in more of a unicorn style fashion, I guess. We both, when we date romantically, we both tend to date the same people. When we play, sometimes we play with different people, but even a lot of our play partners, we play, we wind up playing in groups. And we have never had any trouble finding partners. Um, But that mainly comes down to the fact that we don't think of them as unicorns. We think of them as people. 
and realize that there has to be give and take and somewhat of a, a balance in the relationship. Like everybody has to be getting something out of it. It can't just be the couple getting stuff out of it. And the unicorn, the, the honor of your company or the honor of being allowed into your relationship is not, uh, is not a bargaining chip. It doesn't mean anything to anybody coming into your relationship. Um, so the fairness is a big issue. So let's talk about that a little bit and kind of how you have to look at this in order to create, uh, a situation where somebody might actually be interested in coming in as, as a a third person. I think the first big thing with that is really remembering that they're a person and that they're going to have needs too. And if you are looking for a partner to join your group, trying to make sure that you are open to things changing. Um, And what I mean by that is you may have this desire for your relationship to look like one way, but if you're adding somebody, it might need to be a different way. You need to be flexible as far as what your ideal relationship looks like. You should get your needs met, but be flexible to that ideal being changed a little bit so that everybody's needs can be met. And what do you mean specifically when you're saying that? Um, so for example, uh, me and you, we really want to uh, have someone that we have come over and I'm doing this as a hypothetical and we would like to spend this many days, this much time having this much sex with this new partner, right? Like that's our ideal. That's how we want to have it set up. Like we're going to see her on Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday, and we're going to have sex on Saturday, being realistic that that might not be a suitable situation for your unicorn, right? She may want more days. She may require more days, especially if you're saying you can't date anybody else. Well, and we'll get to that in a second, but yeah. basically what you're saying is that their needs aren't going to fit in the box that you're thinking of when you're you and your partner are designing this relationship before you go looking. Yeah, and it's really no different than a couple, really. Like, you might going into a a monogamous couple situation, just one, you know, two people be like, this is how I would like my relationship to look. But what you do with the other person is you find out what each person needs and you kind of shape it. Yeah. So I think, I think number one, making sure, understanding that you, the two of you can sit down and and design whatever, like you and your existing partner can sit down and, and try and design a relationship beforehand. But all the rules and everything around that relationship are going to have to be flexible to meet the needs of this other person who is a person who's coming into this, this relationship. Um, and I think there's a couple other things too. Number one is, um, imposing artificial limits on relationships. So a lot of times an existing couple, they'll only want this new relationship to grow to a certain level, right? Like, um, you'll, you'll always go home. Like you'll never spend the night here or you'll never get involved in the children's lives. Or what are some other ones? Like you won't kiss such and such. Like you won't kiss this person. Like you can have sex, but like you won't kiss. Or you can have anal sex, but you can't have regular sex. Right. So, you know, like people try and impose all these, these limits to keep this, this uh, third relationship from growing so much where it may interfere with the existing relationship. And to a per- you got to look at this from the, and, and this all boils down to is you got to look at this from the eyes of a person coming in. Why would they do that? Why would they want to go into a relationship where they know they're only going to be able to get to a certain point? Like for most people, that's going to be a non-starter. Um, especially again, if you are not expecting them to date anybody else to have any other relationships going on. So that's going to be a non-starter, like, like imposing artificial limits on, on where a relationship goes. Um, I think the other couple of, of big things that tend to kind of kill people who are looking for third partner is expecting everything to be equal in the relationship because that never happens. As far as equal, are you talking about like homes and, and housings and money and things like that or feelings. Cause there's two, there's two aspects of that. Yeah. There's two aspects to it. So I was specifically talking about thinking that the relationships between everybody in the group are going to grow at the same rate because you've, you've got to remember you have, you, you go from having, you know, the one relationship between A and B, uh, but now you have, you know, you have the relationship between A and B, the relationship between B and C, the relationship between, you know, C and, and A, plus the relationship as a whole. So you go from having one relationship to four. And those relationships and, and between partners, the attraction and, you know, the relationships, they never grow at the same rate. They're never equal. You're never equally attracted to two people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you may have somebody, um, for instance, if you do have that model of the, you know, 
pre-existing couple, which is a male and a female, and then you have, you know, the incoming partner who's a female, you may have somebody who is more straight than bi or more lesbian than bi. So there might be differences in sexual attraction. Um, There might be differences in bonding as far as um, hobbies and things like that. And the sexual desires and things like that may be different amongst the people just based on what activities people are really into, Uh, especially if you're throwing in things like power dynamics. Uh, That can change the whole thing. So expecting that all three people are going to love and sexually desire each other completely equally is really just not It's not realistic. realistic. It's never going to happen. And if that's what you're expecting, you should never get into this type of relationship because you will be disappointed every time. Um, The next part of that going to decisions is, you know, you're going to, if you're, if you're trying to keep this person as a relationship and more of a play partner, you're going to have to start giving them decision-making ability in the relationship equal to where they're at. If you have somebody who's been around for two, three years, you're going to have to give them some say in, in everyday decisions. Like you aren't going to be able to retain that power to the primary couple. Again, nobody's going to be interested in staying long-term in this relationship with you that they don't have the ability to make decisions in. Yeah. And that's why I was saying, I wasn't sure which aspect of those two things you're talking about, because that's just as equal as much as the, you know, everybody having the same feelings is you can't continuously put a partner in a second level. Like you can only make these decisions. Whereas if you were in the couple, just the, 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 the two people together, you would be making these decisions anyway. Um, so basically they're just being put further down a step only because they're the unicorn. Yeah. Like I'll give you an example, like where we're moving. Okay. Yeah. If you've been dating this person for a couple weeks, that's not something that you're going to expect them to have a say in. But if they've been around for a couple years, living in your house, living in your house, and you're having a discussion about where to move, you're not going to be able to keep that discussion between the prime, you know, the, the existing couple, like the, the previously existing couple, like everybody's going to have to be involved in that. And again, if you're not willing to let people in, be involved in that decision-making process, they're not going to be interested. Um, and I think one of the last places that people tend to really get caught up in this stuff is this idea, and, and it's a huge thing, um, that, you know, you're only expecting this person to date or fuck in this triad that you're creating. And it's generally not a very realistic expectation. It gets back to this idea of fairness. Um, you know, if you're part of an existing couple, you have the ability to have sex whenever both of you are interested, all right? Um, and you probably only have a certain amount of time that you're, you're able to spend with this new person. So say that you really only can get together with them once a week. Well, you and your partner who are, who are living together, you know, you're fucking three, four times a week or however many times a week you may be fucking. This new person, you know, they're only coming around once a week, but you're expecting them to not get their needs met somewhere else, even though you're not offering them the opportunity to come by and get their needs met more often. And the same thing goes with, with you know, with dating. Like, you know, this person, uh, particularly if, if you're not offering them uh, like you're looking for more of a play relationship and you're really not offering them the ability to um, become a primary partner and to, you know, create a long-term equal relationship with the, the people in the relationship, uh, but you're not letting them go out and build other relationships elsewhere, they're not going to be interested. Yeah. You can't expect someone to devote all their time to you when you're only devoting a small fraction of your time to them. It's just not realistic. And most people are not going to set themselves up for a relationship where they're completely at a loss for somebody else. And if you do find somebody who's willing to do something like that, then you really have to ask yourself how healthy this person is and how healthy this relationship is going to be later down the line. Yeah. So that's kind of a rundown of gripes, I think, <laughs> um, but of, of reasons that you're probably not going, you're, you're probably having, having problems finding somebody. But again, just to summarize, you have to be willing, you know, if you're looking for more than just a play relationship and that goes with all these things, um, you have to be willing to offer them decision-making ability in the relationship. You have to understand that things aren't going to be equal. Um, you have to offer them the opportunity to get their needs met either in the relationship or give them the option to get those needs met somewhere else. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you have to understand that they're people with their own needs and you know that those needs have to be getting fulfilled 
or this relationship isn't going to be something that is interesting to them. Uh, and and that's that's really, I think, the long and short of it. And the only thing I'll add is it might not even be needs. It might be desires. And you shouldn't be the only person only getting your desires fulfilled too. So it does. it's not just all about needs. I have a whole blog post that kind of talks about this topic called, um, uh, what is the name of it? It's about fairness and polyamory. It was the f- fairness when it matters and it doesn't. Is that the one that you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Anyways, I have this whole article on fairness and polyamory that kind of covers this topic in more detail. And it, it especially takes a look at this idea of uh, poly relationships and, and an established couple looking to bring in another partner and how most of the time what people are looking for is so uh, just completely unfair that anybody who would be interested in that probably isn't an incredibly healthy person or an experienced person to begin with. I will link to it in the show notes, a touch of flavor.com forward slash zero zero nine for the show notes. I highly suggest that you read it. If this is something that you're serious about, um, if you're just going to be one of those people who goes out there and treats, you know, these people like shit, do us all a favor and just don't do it. It's better for everybody. Even if you're just looking for someone to fuck, put that out there and don't mask it as like trying to look for a unicorn or a triad relationship. And you'll probably won't have problems finding them. But remember, they're going to be fucking a date and other people too, if that's all you're looking for. Nobody's going to want to just fuck you and your partner and not have any other relationships. As far as actually finding people, because I think (laughs) where to look could be a, a part of your problem. It's usually a secondary problem. It's usually a secondary problem. I will say uh, the first part of that problem is that you're you're just not treating people like people. Um, and I will also say that I think when you are treating people like people and you are cognizant of meeting other people's needs, these unicorns become entirely unmythical. Yeah, we don't have to look for them. Like I, when people talk about unicorns being like, I can't find unicorns, they're they're mythical, I'm like... I know unicorns all the time. Like I can go to a play party and find some. Um, There isn't like, there isn't a small number of bisexual women who want to play with, you know, two people um, or want to date two people. The number is actually much larger than you would expect. It's more that when you actually sit down and you talk to these people, it's the way they've been treated the way that they have been treated in the past, as far as being like that second class person. And also, um, just being kind of treated as a as, as a plaything for for the couple, whether it's an emotional plaything or a physical plaything, they're being treated as a plaything. But as far as where to actually look, <laughs> I was getting there. Um, first of all, uh, going to um, if you're kinky, going to kink events. I think that um, because of the hatred towards people who are looking for unicorns, unicorns do hide away from the poly community. Um, I think that there's less of them actually at poly, like poly meetups and things like that. Yeah, I will say that whole really huge dislike of unicorn things is much more prevalent in my experience in the poly community than the kink community. Yeah. So I would say look in your kink community, um, go to events, talk to people. If there's a single girl um, that you're interested in, talk to her, see what she's looking for. And if you guys match up on, you know, what everybody's looking for, explore it. Um, if you're finding that you're not willing to offer things and, or there's things that she wants that you don't want, then pass it on. Um, but really it's just about getting to know people, getting out. I recommend going to kink events, kink educational events. Um, social events are really good things that are not just play parties, but also social events like munches. So that way you actually have the opportunity to talk to people versus just being in a play setting and everybody playing and going off and doing their own things. Yeah. Um, you can check out the poly community again. The king community, I think, is more accepting of that. Poly community tends to have a very deep bias towards you know toward, towards people who are looking for those kinds of relationships, which is almost its whole separate topic. Um, you can find people in the vanilla world who will go for it. Uh, and if you run across those people, cool, but I wouldn't go actively looking for people there. It's not a great use of your time. And also, you know, then those people tend to be very inexperienced and not know what they're looking for, which also causes its own set of issues with with trying to build a healthy relationship. Yeah. When looking in the vanilla community, you tend to get the people who are like, I've never tried anything before, but sure. And especially if you are new and there are new. That's a lot of new people trying to work out very serious relationship things. So I would say looking for somebody who has some 
some poly experience or at least is very sexually aware and experienced as far as, you know, their sexuality and everything else? I would say, you know, particularly because you're saying you can't find unicorn anywhere. I'm assuming you've probably never done this before. You would be far better and have a far healthier relationship finding somebody who's experienced with poly. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, be aware, you know, these people, they're going to know what they want. They're going to know what they need. And they're not going to tolerate a whole bunch of unfair bullshit. All right. This next question is from Emily. She's 26 years old and she's from New York. Uh, it says, before I had my daughter, I was active in the scene and had my boyfriend and a few friends that I played with, but that was years ago. I haven't bottomed or topped for several years, so she's switchy, I guess. I am a single mom of a three-year-old, and I've basically just been working. I don't have time to meet people for dates or go to scene parties. Is it wrong to still consider myself kinky? No. No. (laughs) Um, I think kink is not necessarily something that you do. It's something that you are. Um, it's sort of like if I wasn't dating a woman for years, would I no longer be bisexual? Um, and if I said that people would think that they would be like, no, no, of course you're still bisexual because you're attracted to women. So if kink is something that you're still into, even if you're not practicing it, you're still a kinky person. You still have like the right to call yourself kinky. I think that there's another kind of inherent question in this that you didn't ask, but we're going to answer anyways. (laughs) Uh, and that is... Um, is this your choice to be inactive in the scene or is this an, an, an inactive as far as doing anything or is that something that's kind of being, uh, forced upon is maybe the wrong word, but that's a result of your current situation with your daughter and everything like that. And, you know, if that isn't, uh, uh, something that you want or that you're happy about, what can you do to kind of improve that situation? So... I think a really helpful thing is community, like making friends. Um, Possibly do you have friends from when you were kinky before who might have kids? Like do like a child swap, like, all right, this weekend you guys take the kids, next weekend I'll take the kids. So that way you have some free time to be able to get out and do things and be involved if that's something that you really want to do. Um, Especially if you can find somebody that you can trade off like that, because If you feel you are kinky, if kinky is something that you are not feeding that, I'll be completely honest as a parent talking to a parent, if you don't take care of you and your needs, you are going to be less of a good parent to your child. You'll be resentful, you'll be angry, and you'll be upset. So um, trying to find ways to actually get out is a good thing. So one is community. Um, Another is, you know, You can still do things at home, even with a child. A lot of people don't like that idea. They tend to like go away from having play, even with their boyfriends and girlfriends and things like that when they have young children in the house. And that's what other bedrooms are for and locks on your door are for. Um, If you're not getting your needs met, you should be taking steps to do that. And what that might be is simply when the kid's in bed, going off into your own room or making time for yourself and actually planning that out. Yeah. So I think, you know, when you say you don't have time uh, to meet people for dates or to go to scene parties. So it sounds like it's not just the kink stuff. It sounds like it's your, your relationships too, that you're having problems dating people and things like that. So I I have this great quote I like from uh, Brian Tracy, which is, you know, that there's never enough time to do everything, but there's always enough time to do the most important things. And, you know, if dating people and and, and human connection and relationships are almost always important, sometimes some of the most important things in our lives and kink, you know, are important to you. You have to make the time to do those things. You have to feed yourself. And I know that can be easier said than done, especially when you're talking about a three-year-old, especially depending on the kind of support system that you do or don't have in place. But there are some steps you can take. Um, I think both, both with getting out, right. And with stuff at home. Um, and you've addressed a couple of them. I'd like to talk about them a little more, but I think the first step is deciding that that is a priority to do. Um, because, uh, I mean, let's be honest, your kid's three, right? And next thing you know, his kid's going to be six. You're going to be having the same discussion until they're like 10 and they're old enough to leave home alone. So unless you're willing to do that <laughs> and forsake that stuff in your life for that long, you know, now's the time, I think, to start trying to take steps in that direction. So as far as getting out, you had talked about child swapping. What are some other options that you would like to put out there? Um, I mean, 
Obviously, if you have a kid and you don't have anybody to take your child, grandparents, um, if you have the ex-boyfriend, when does he have your daughter? If he has your daughter, um, if you don't, then, you know, grandparents, things like that, having those connections are great. But if you don't possibly having a fun fund, like I'm going to set aside a couple bucks every week for fun that may go towards childcare. Um, so that way you can go out and do things. So if you don't have those resources of a friend or a family member, you can even, you know, put a little money aside to be able to go out and do things. Other thing, something else that you can do. So you got that. Um, I, I like the child swap idea. Um, you know, something else that you can do, uh, and it, it's not the most fun thing in the world, but you can use it to fill in some of the gaps between when, uh, you have child care available or can afford it is if you're dating people, you may be able to bring your kids along for that date, especially if they have kids. I mean, at this point in our lives, a lot of the people that we either date or even like friends with benefits type situation who we like to go hang out with have kids. And, you know, if it's as long as it's not a situation where we're actually having sex, like we can go out and maybe go out and have a day on the town or go hiking or do that kind of thing and, and bring the, the kids fair. together. Yeah, go to the Ren Fair, bring the kids. I mean, trust me, I understand it's not necessarily the most ideal situation when you're trying to date and be romantic, but it is an option you can use to fill in some of those times maybe where you you can't uh, can't work out the childcare situation. So that's, that's stuff as far as getting out. Um, I want to take a minute and kind of talk about stuff you can do, you know, uh, in your house, right, or in other people's houses to still be able to do stuff when you have kids around. Because the fact of the matter is you probably aren't going to be able to get childcare as much as you need uh, to be satisfied, you know, with your, your sex life or your kink life, especially if you don't have a, a long-term kind of cohabiting partner. So... Let's talk about, and we actually have a whole report on this that we we wrote a couple years ago called uh, Home is Where the Hump is, Overcoming Privacy Issues. I will put a link to that in the show notes, forward slash 009 on our website, uh, where you can download this. But let's just talk about a couple of things that you can do uh, as far as doing stuff in your house um, with kids. Because let's face it, those of us with kids, if we didn't come up with ways to have sex when our kids were home, we would never get laid. Everybody would only have one child. Everybody would only have one child. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so I think the first and foremost thing is actually being willing to do stuff with your kid in the house. I think that's a big one, especially for people who maybe don't have like long-term partners. Yeah, and I think that there there is that like factor of, of, oh gosh, I'm doing stuff with my kids at home. And most of the time where that comes from is this idea that one, your kids know what you're doing or two, they're going to walk in on you. And for the first one, when they're really, really little, they have no idea what you're doing. When they're a bit older, they're going to know what you're doing. And no matter how much you're trying to hide it, they're going to know that their parent is having sex. So if you can get to that point of, well, if they're little tiny, you know, tykes, toddlers, things like that, they're not going to have a clue of what you're doing unless they actually walk in on you. And if they are like teenage years they most likely know you have sex. If you can just get to that realization, it'll be a lot easier for you. Um, but the real concern is them physically walking in. Yeah. Um, so I think I think the first step is being willing to do it, yeah. right? And then you move on to kind of the practical issues. Um, one of which is walking in. And I think that th- there's two simple answers to that that we use. Um, one is... Get a lock for your door and teach privacy. Well, th- that's both. You both. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, but but those those are really things. Get a lock, put a lock on your door. I mean, it's that is the simplest but the most important thing that you can do and use it consistently. Um, but the second thing is, is teaching your kid to respect privacy. So we've had a policy for years, both with our kids and any of our partner's kids, that children are not allowed in the bedroom. They're not allowed to open the door um, because, you know, sometimes you forget to put that lock on. And... That has been our policy for years. We've been able to teach every kid that's come into our house that successfully and without problems. And, you know, they, they need to learn to knock at a closed door. Yeah, which is which is good practice. I mean, for, for just social interactions as an adult, as a teenager, knocking on doors before walking in is not a bad thing to learn. They will appreciate it when they're in college. <laughs> Yeah. So that, that is, those are, I think the two simplest and most effective suggestions. A couple other things as far as noise concerns. Um, if it's physically possible, 
uh, locating your room, hopefully so that you're not sharing a wall with your, your child. I realize that is not always possible depending on your living situation, but a lot of times it is. And that's very helpful if you can have like an office in between or a lot of times you can either have a spare room in between or, um, you know, be across the hall or anything like that. That's very helpful. Any other noise suggestions? Um, I mean, drowning yourself out is a good thing. You know, put, put some music on, some white noise. Um, those things are amazing for keeping your, you know, muffles uh, a little quieter. And if all else fails and you or, and or your partner is way too loud, that's what gags are made for. And uh, don't be ashamed to be like, look, honey, um, we're going to have to put a sock in it. Yeah. A couple other suggestions that I think are uh, important. Um, make sure you lock up your your adult stuff. Um, you know, you don't just want to throw it in a drawer. Um, I mean, you should be teaching your kids privacy. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, as they get older and they get curious, they're going to come poking around. Yeah, you can teach it all day long. It doesn't mean they're going to listen to it. Right. <laughs> um, and it's kind of hard to enforce when you're not in the room. So, Lock your stuff up. Um, we used to recommend that people get cases from For Your Information. They had some great cases, but they are since out of business. But you can get lockable boxes for cosmetics or like for firearms uh, or things like that and use those. Or at Home Depot for tools. Those yeah. are good too. Yep. So you can do that. Uh, cell phones. As far as cell phones, you know, especially if you're going to be dating people and having some uh, sexy conversation involved, like put a lock on your phone. It's not that difficult. Most phones have a way to set it up to put in some kind of number lock. Uh, just recently, uh, our son was flipping through my phone because um, he actually knew my my lock and he came across a picture he did not want to see. I don't think he's going to be poking. He's not going to be poking through my phone ever again. But the moral of the story is that the only way he was able to do that was because he knew my code. So if you don't want your kids seeing things, conversations, pictures, things like that, lock your kid out of your phone. And a cell phone's a private item. It should be your your phone, not everybody's phone. I mean, if for some reason you really need your three-year-old to have games or whatever to amuse themselves, you can go get a $50 tablet. Um, but you want to get in the habit of keeping them off your phone because eventually they will see something that you don't want them to see. So I think that pretty much sums it up. Get out, do it, date people, have sex, be fulfilled. And if you're not doing any of those things, you still can be kinky. All right, everyone. So if you would like us to answer your questions about open relationships, power exchange, kink, uh, anything along those lines, go ahead and send them in to us. You can do that by submitting your question at atouchofflavor.com forward slash ask. That's atouchofflavor.com forward slash ask. Or you can call our voicemail line at 833-ASK-TOF. One and you can leave us a voicemail. And if we select your question, we will play your voicemail and answer it on air. It's been a little while since we did a Q and A episode because we had a bunch of interviews to get out. So we have several questions we didn't get to this go around. So next week's episode ten will also be another Q and A episode. Uh, we love doing these, and we're getting a ton of awesome questions. And so we actually plan on starting to do these about every other week. So send in your questions. We'll answer them for you. And uh, we'll talk to you then. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1.